You good? Good. You just silent click. I didn't even hear that. <laughs> I think my favorite part about these podcasts is going to be us talking about how we synced up at the start of everyone. And then people are like, am I actually listening to a podcast here? Should I just delete this right now? Okay, welcome back, guys. Week eight. Wow, I feel like last week was like just yesterday. <laughs> hello, hello, everyone. So your your recording's going good, right? No, no sound when I'm talking, and sound when you're talking, and all that fun stuff. We are all good. Sweet. So we are talking about the. These are giant notepad files I have on my phone, but I have to scroll like so far to the bottom to get where we are. And so, we can get worse. Um, so week eight, uh, Thor: Dark World. Um, the more I watch this, the more I'm conflicted about it. I don't really know where to put it. I think it's just a good solid four. I, I think it's been four hours since I watched it. I like I like to write from the like the first time. My opinion hasn't really changed. It hasn't got stronger or lesser. I've just I've always enjoyed this movie and don't quite understand well, the bad rep it gets. I did not care for Thor when I first saw it, which is it's, it's a four now that I watch it. I feel like it's gone up from like maybe three and a half. Um, but when Thor Dark World came out, I was obsessed. I was so into it. I was like, oh my god, I didn't know how cool Thor could be. Um, uh, I, I gave it four and a half right off the bat. And since I've noticed some stuff about it that has kind of ruined it for me a little bit, brought it down to a four. Um but overall, pretty good movie. Um, I would also like to try and give like a little reading challenge to people every podcast. Uh, so as I mentioned for Iron Man 3, everyone should try and read Extremis. It is so good and wow. Um, that's, that's some of my favorite uh, Iron Man stuff I've read. For Thor Dark World... Um, I would, I don't know any Thor stuff that actually ties into this. Um, my only, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, exposure to Malekith as a villain is in uh, Jason Aaron's run on Thor. Um, really cool stuff on that. Uh, but my initial exposure to Malekith was actually in an Iron Man comic. When I was talking about the Mark 20, the Python, uh, that's inspired from Kieran Gillen's run, I believe, on Iron Man. Maybe not, actually. I think it is, though. Um, and in his run, Iron Man actually faces off against uh, Malekith when Malekith gets one of the Mandarin rings. And that was my first introduction to Malekith, and I loved it. So, uh, really offbeat... Uh, Suggestion for a Thor movie, but uh, definitely read some Iron Man. Man, Malekith's cool. Uh, or you can check out the old school stuff, whatever. Um, so, more relevant homework, I would say read Thor The Dark World Prelude, because that is MCU, and that's what we're talking about. Well, makes sense. Can't argue with logic. Um, if you're not reading it, we will go over it in, in a general sense, so you can... Uh, you know, get the information you're missing if you hate comics or you're lazy or you just are broke. Because <laughs> this podcast is free, so if you're too broke, broke to get a Thor Dark World comic, then we got you, man. I feel it. <laughs> so, uh, this was written by Chris Yost and Craig Kyle. And Chris Yost, I believe, were, was one of the writers for Thor Dark World. 
Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. He's great. Uh, he, he works a lot with Craig Kyle. Craig Kyle is actually one of the executive producers, I believe, on on Thor Dark World. So their names are tied into this somewhat. Um, so so we get a little more of the, uh, the, the other realms here. And the interesting thing is, is which kind of opens up your mind of maybe how uh, Thor kind of works, is that they refer to the different realms as planets. And I mean... I guess when you really think about it, that's what they are, right? Like, Asgard... Uh, I guess Asgard's not a planet, because there's, like, literally the edge of the world there and stuff. But I think the rest of them could potentially be planets. I'm not quite sure how it works, because... So, the Bifrost is destroyed um, at this point, and the, you know, convergence is starting to happen, and the Nine Realms are in chaos. So... Um, the, the rest of the universe is kind of opened up to the nine realms and the crazy shit is happening so I guess that's something I kind of want to research or like are they realms are they planets yeah I never just said either like because there's definitely got to be more than nine planets because like we see, we've probably seen that many like combined so yeah I don't know I actually was meant to ask you that what the realms actually represent yeah I mean because I, I guess they're just like kind of planets that are, are within Yggdrasil right like because I think if you look at like Eric Selvig's uh, notes and stuff like that. He draws them as planets within the tree, right? So they're connected, but they would also potentially be connected to the rest of the world. I don't, I don't know how the rest of the universe, how does that work? Hard to say. Uh, I don't think they're supposed to be connected to the rest of the galaxy, but somehow the galaxies are able to get there at certain points um, in the comics. I don't know how that works. Like, there's like whole, in Jason Aaron's run, the Shi'ar come to Asgard and stuff, and how is that actually possible? Um, I don't know. It's interesting stuff. So, we see Nida Velir, uh, which is the um, realm with the trolls. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of neat. Um, and we see the Badoon worlds. The Badoon are attacking uh, some, some of the places in their titan, which is super interesting because the Badoon... I've only recently got into in comics, but they are a terrible race. No one likes them. They're just total assholes. Are you advocating racism over there? Is that what I hear? Speciesism, maybe? <laughs> the the Badoon are, are, are ruthless. They're just like a bunch of dicks. Maybe they're misunderstood. Um, maybe, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, everyone seems to hate them, and they seem to hate everyone else. In the 31st century, they destroyed the earth and like took over the entire solar system and were the antagonists against the original guardians of the galaxy which had yondu danta in it and some other members that we will later discuss as the og guardians but so it should be known that the badoon are, are generally kind of tied to the guardians of the galaxy as a group and other space cosmic stuff so the fact that they're in the thor dark world prelude is pretty interesting um uh, and then we get the Marauders, which are a group of random different species. And when I first read it, I totally thought the Marauders were the Ravagers. And was like, whoa, this really ties in. <laughs> um, no, separate. Different. <laughs> uh, but the Marauders are still super interesting, uh, as we will touch on a little bit later. So yeah, you have the Nine Realms kind of spilling out of the Drasil into the rest of the stuff. Um, 
at some point in the comic we get a Ragnarok reference because that's very Thor related and interesting that you know that's the next thing we decided to see uh, we see Vanaheim being attacked which is where the Vanir are from which Hogan is a member of one of the Warriors 3 mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of the opening of Thor Dark World so that ties in um, it, it this takes place over the span of one year after the Avengers have happened no not even one year after the Avengers this takes place one year after uh, sorry yeah one year after Thor um, the original uh, Thor yeah since the original Thor so we have Jane trying to kind of get in touch with Thor and a year later I think the Avengers takes place so if that kind of times that out um, makes sense with the whole timeline mm-hmm. uh, so this most is kind of the lead up to what happens to the Avengers and then you know up to Thor Dark World and stuff um, we see Frigga, Frigga finding out that Loki's actually alive um, oh yeah so, I guess you probably wouldn't have known otherwise right yeah, so when they... Because Thor just kind of... They think he's dead, and then Thor kind of just appears in Avengers and takes Loki back and says that people thought he was dead. So we see the reaction of Frigga being like, Loki's alive, he's somewhere in space, and he's like, you know, I've seen him contacting with Thanos. We see Thanos in this comic as well. Um, we see Coulson relocating Jane Foster as he tells Thor in Avengers. Um, and we see Odin using the dark energy to send Thor to Midgard, which... Uh, you know, he wasn't able to do with the Bifrost because it was destroyed. So that's how he returned using Odin's dark energy. Um, and then when he gets the Tesseract, that's how they return because uh, the dark energy takes a lot out of Odin. Um, yeah, I like how they explain that because you know, they don't really touch on it in the movie. Like, like you know, he just uh, at the end of Thor, the Bifrost is destroyed and he's stranded. And then at the start of the Avengers, he's well, not the start, but he shows up like midway through the Avengers and with kind of no explanation. Yeah, which kind of seems like Joss... I feel like Joss Whedon might have said something, that there were some like obvious loopholes in his writing that he kind of didn't really think about when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that corrects that. Uh, and yeah, you see a little bit of the relationship between Loki and Frigga and Odin, and you know, Odin keeps calling him the prisoner, and Frigga kind of is like, you know, looking after Loki and kind of caring for him. Yeah, I like that relationship. Because, like, yeah, like, no matter what he's done, like she's still he's still her son, you know? It's still really hard for her to look past that. Yeah, I mean, so, adopted son, but still son. Yeah. So that's that's interesting, um, and that's pretty much all you see out of it. it just kind of leads up to, you know, Vanaheim being attacked by the Marauders, which is how uh, Thor: Dark World starts out. Yeah, it starts out right with that battle, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, what do you think of the comic? Do you like it? Yeah, uh, I probably should have. Said that for Iron Man 3. Uh, these preludes have been pretty great. Iron Man 3 one I really liked because it touched on yeah. um, the Iron Legion and all of that stuff. Uh, and Thor Dark World 1, I liked a fair bit too. It added depth and you get to see all these different realms. And I don't know. It just kind of felt like it, it made it a little closer to the comics. It's almost like they were comic writers just trying to make a Thor comic and, you know, not really dancing around the MCU and the differences too much. They kind of just went at it, and I really got to respect that. Great writers, so not surprised. Yeah, no, I liked it too. Um, so then we got, we got Thor Dark World, the film, directed by Alan Taylor, and I already forget what Alan Taylor has directed. Alan Taylor Terminator Genesis? is uh, yeah Terminator Genesis, which is not like a uh, a high point of his 
of his career, but uh, he's directed a lot of TV shows. Like that's why that's why he was known for. I think he probably got this due to his work on Game of Thrones. Like he's directed uh, he's directed a bunch of shows I've loved and watched. Like he directed episodes of Oz, episodes what do you have here? The Sopranos, um, Deadwood, one of my favorite shows of all time. He directed an episode of Lost, uh, Mad Men, Boardwalk Empire, and then Game of Thrones. He directed some like the early kind of like very memorable episodes like Baylor and. Uh, um, like just wow. yeah, so he, he actually I didn't realize I was looking at his filmography right now, and he directed a bunch of episodes for the first two seasons, and then didn't come back until he directed the Beyond the Wall episode, which is the episode that you hated from season seven. So <laughs> <laughs> I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, don't like that episode. Uh, I think he's got a very good sense like of uh, visual effects, though, from Game of Thrones, which is kind of funny that we're talking about like a TV series being like a a main catalyst for like doing a visual effects heavy Marvel movie, but I, I did like it is like the Game of Thrones has such memorable visuals and like has such memorable action scenes. I can see why someone watching that would say, "Oh yeah, this could translate over to Thor quite well." Yeah, and I feel like that's where they're really trying to get right. They got Kenneth Branagh with the first one; it didn't necessarily kill it. So they're like, "All right, we've had someone doing Shakespeare. Let's try someone doing like Game of Thrones." Yeah, and uh, really all over the place because I mean, I don't know how they were like, "Let's do Taika for Ragnarok." Oh, how they ended but, handed over to an indie New Zealand director, I'd never understand, but I'm thankful that they did. Yeah. I got a, I saw a Reddit post where it was like an interview with him, and he was talking, he's like, I feel like we'll always do indie movies, like I feel like if I did like a high-budget Hollywood movie and they gave me that much money, I'd just screw it up. And then it's like... <laughs> and then he did what? It, it had a, it had a fast-forward to him being like, I'm Taika Waititi, director and actor from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> and he's just like so full of it, and like... <laughs> That's I mean, it's interesting. I would be interested to see how they choose the directors because, like, yeah, I'd say Alan Taylor would be more of an out there choice. Like his films, like I looked as as like I I've seen Thor: The Dark World and he did Terminator after, but before that, like I I never really heard of any of his films. They, they kind of look like they're more like you know period piece type or like you know crime ones. So it's like yeah, it's like how do they often choose these directors and like you know, well, I mean, Joss Whedon had very little movie experience and they yeah, the Russo they, brothers so. are the linchpin of the Avengers universe now. And they directed. Like community before and some movie with Ray that Romano. That was so random. Yeah. How does that happen? So to me, that's that's, the that's good on them. Movie. Like they're taking these chances, yeah. like guys like Taika and like these young unproven directors. Kind of the same way Star Wars was doing too, like they did with uh, Rogue One, and they were they were doing with Han Solo, so they fired those directors. But to me, I, I like the idea of taking these kind of more younger unproven directors whose work are like indie or like haven't really, and then giving them a big budget. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I like I like that they try. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, uh, yeah, we get the, the intro story where Odin's talking about uh, the Dark Elves and the Aether. The Aether. Um, we see Malekith. Uh, he's fighting against um, the Asgardians, the uh, Ironyar, the, um, and, and Bor, who is Odin's father. So we get to see Bor in the flesh, which is pretty cool. Um, and they're fighting uh, with their Dark Elves, um, and they... They have something called the Cursed, or the Cursed, um, and they have these curse stones that they, like, stick into their body, and it makes them, like, extremely powerful, but, you know, will cause their death later on, so it's kind of like a kamikaze sort of thing. Um, and later on, we see Algrim, one of the, uh, one of the Dark Elves, do this when he's in prison, and he has this mask on, and the thing is that Curse is actually a Thor villain. So the fact that they turned it into kind of a thing with these curse stones and gave him this mask is like a subtle bit for that that I really enjoyed. Interesting. Yeah. 
Um, so they're, you know, fighting during the convergence when all the realms are together and this and that. And Boar is wielding Gungnir, which is Odin's lance that we see, um, which I find really interesting. So we see that whole bit. Uh, um, Uh, and then, and then we fast forward to the present time, where uh, everyone's fighting in Vanaheim, and it's you know, uh, I feel like they kind of lost it with a lot of the humor. But in Thor one, in Thor Dark World, there's a fair bit of humor in it, and I feel like those are Thor's kind of best moments when he's either dealing with Loki stuff or he's making these odd jokes, you know, where he he comes up and uh, he's he's fighting uh, one of the Marauders. And this got giant stone man comes. And he looks at him and he goes, I accept your surrender. And then everyone starts laughing. It's, it's a good Thor moment tonight. So I really appreciate that Taika kind of took that to the next level in the next movie. Because the jokes are good. Um, and Thor is good when he's joking around. Yeah, like, I like, I like uh, Thor humor. Like he's, it, and it's funny because I, I actually thought the first two movies were like quite, like quite humorous. And then when you see like Ragnarok where I'm like actually like dying to the whole thing, it's like, just as much a comedy almost as it is like an action superhero movie and he like balanced all, all those genres so well it's hard to compare like these now but like, I remember like I, I there's quite a few funny moments in this movie like when I love when like Jane like slaps Thor after she sees him for a long time or when Thor rides the subway like just like little kind of moments like that that are humorous and I like that they don't, they don't go like full serious mode with Thor because he wouldn't be as relatable or as interesting if Thor was serious all the time you know totally um so he's fighting one of the Marauders, the Stone Man. Uh, he's a Cronin. Um, and I was watching it, and I'm like, he looks familiar. He's a Cronin. Uh, if you've read some of my uh, Wandering Jade posts, um, in the first issue of Thor, he's fighting the Stone Men from Saturn. Um, and I think those ended up becoming the Cronin. And the Cronin you would be familiar with, because uh, no one knew who the Marauders were, or the Cronin were really from this movie. But uh, Korg is one of the Cronins. Oh, really? Yeah, so he destroys this dude made of stone that's the same race that Korg is that we see come back mm. in uh, Ragnarok. So that's interesting. I never realized Maybe that. Maybe he killed his father or something. Maybe. <laughs> Dark twist. Another day, another duck. <laughs> um, so we have... Uh, we have the new Bifrost that's been built uh, since they got the Tesseract back. They used that power to build a new one, I guess. Um, we see... Uh, I don't remember what point in the movie we see it, but we have Thor, uh, Loki being returned to Asgard and, uh, you know, talking to Odin and being like, I was just trying to rule like a benevolent god like you did. And they have the whole... the bit there, and he's like... Uh, they're the you know they have their back and forth, and uh, he's like we're not. He's like uh, I wanted to rule them like a benevolent god, and he's like we're not gods. We live and die just like humans. And then Loki goes, give or take a few thousand years, <laughs> uh, which is a line I really liked, and I really like he's he's uh, he's saying that he wanted to rule because he's like it's my birthright. And then Odin gets super furious, and the way Anthony Hopkins delivered the line kills me every time. He goes, Your birthright was to die! And he, he like, clicks as he has his Your birthright 
it's, it's powerful, but every time I'm like, oh. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, so we have Odin and, and Thor's relationship. They're sorry, Odin and Loki's relationship there, and then later on we see Odin and Thor's relationship being a little better since he's came back and you know, bringing peace to all the realms and stuff. And uh, we also see Odin's Raven uh, at some point, which is a good. Uh, you know, tie into the Raven being in Avengers and stuff like that. True. Um, reporting to him and stuff. Uh, Thor has this blue cloak that looks really dope. And I just got to give props to the set department and the costumes and stuff for this because they, they kill it with all their, like, cloaks they're wandering around in. Sif's got one. Everyone's got one. They look awesome. Um, also really like Sif as a character in this. There's this, you know, he's obviously in love with Jane and Sif is in love with Thor and she's this strong badass the entire movie and kind of is, you know, bold and going up to Thor and being like, take a walk with me and, you know, isn't jealous or bitter when he's not interested. Yeah, I like her as a, I really like her as a character. Plus she's beautiful, but she's also just a great character. Like she's very, like, very <laughs> strong and like, uh, and yeah, a good foil for like Thor. Like she doesn't, mm. you know, take a shit. She challenges him and stuff. I agree on that. I, I like her a lot. And then she sees Jane Foster later on in the movie, and there's kind of this glance between them. But there's no instance of her being like jealous or, you know, screwing anything up because of it. So I, I'd rather I'd have Thor with that. with uh, not that, not that not that they have just because they're male and female they have to get together. But like if like I was to choose like objectively like out of the three movies who I wanted to be romantically paired with, like I think him and Sif would actually be a good fit. Totally better than Jane Foster for sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure about how Jane Foster works in the comics. I just think, as a character, like she's probably one of the weaker aspects of. Uh, they don't did, like hate her or anything, but just like I don't know, I don't really feel like the, the romance there is, is as strong as I do with like someone like Cap and Peggy, you know, stuff stuff like that. Like I, I like their yeah. chemistry, but it's not perfect. All the all the best Thor stuff I've uh, read, she was out of the picture for sure. Mm. Um. Or she was Thor, in which case she's awesome. But, <laughs> uh, so we see Jane Foster on a date with uh, my third favorite Irishman. Chris, third favorite. Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. I love him. Yeah. That, that was a fun, a funny little scene, just like that, that awkward date that they're on. So good. And he's so good in the movie. Yeah, I love him. Um, we see uh, Darcy's intern. Oh my uh, god, yeah, I forgot about Darcy's intern. <laughs> you know uh, what she makes that with? Yeah, yeah, and, and no one ever calls him by his name. What Do you know, do you know what his name is? Do you know what Chris O'Dowd's name was? No. I was actually curious. No. No, you don't remember either of them? No, what, what are they? Uh, he, he's Richard. That I remembered. Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I remembered that. He, he was iconic in it, but yeah, I did not remember the intern's name until I rewatched it. His name's, his name's Ian. And every time they're like, who's the intern? He goes, my, my name's Ian. <laughs> um, there's also a really good line uh, that when they're making out, um, they get teleported or whatever in, and they're, they're just making out. And then <laughs> I love that scene. they're like, Darcy? And then Darcy looks up and she's like, Jane? <laughs> and then Eric's like, Ian? And he's like, Selvig? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see Mjolnir fly by, and then Darcy looks up and goes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's like one of my favorite lines. Um, uh, so yeah, they go to. Uh, we see the the dark world where where uh, 
the dark elves are you know in sleep and they wake up because the ether's calling to them and that's Spartelheim. Um, so we have Malekith played by Richard Ecclestein. What's his name? Eccleston. Richard. Eccleston. I yeah, I don't know who he is. I I know who the obviously the character talking about. I I don't know who the let's see the actor is. Yeah, I had a friend uh, who's an actress, and she was like, "Oh yeah, Richard Eccleston." And I'm like, "I have no idea who that is." And I looked him up, and I'm still like, yeah, I don't know. "Oh no, I recognize." Well, I only recognize him from one thing. I knew he was Doctor Who, but he was in uh, he was in uh, Heroes. Yeah, he's he, he's in what Heroes. He was in the the good first season. He, he trains Peter for a little while. That's I do. He's actually a good actor. I do remember him. Oh man! Wow! Yeah, yeah check that out. Yeah. Uh, as a, not someone who watches Doctor Who, I missed out on that. Unfortunately, same, same. I just recognize, you know, how you like recognize actors from Doctor Who, like, uh, like, yeah. That's other than that, I don't think I've seen him. Other than Heroes, it doesn't look like he's been in a whole lot. He is good in this though. Yeah. Uh, my favorite actor in this though is uh, not Malekith's actor, but uh, Algram, his like second in command there. Oh, would that be uh, Adewale Akinue Akbaje? Adewale. Yeah, I, I don't know how to say the rest. Mr. Echo from Lost? Mi- Mr. Echo. <laughs> so good. I want that to be my so ringtone. You saying Mr. Echo needs to be my new ringtone. <laughs> so good. Yeah, he is great, though. I, 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 I like him in this movie. Um, uh, the reason I love this movie as much as I do, because it's got some boring parts to it some parts just feel kind of forced and contrived and you don't care and the last fight scenes like i just can't be bothered to pay attention when it happens really drawn out and not great but uh the loki scenes are so good everyone where loki's in prison uh just slays me the the scene where he's talking to friga and uh um, you know, they're arguing and, and he's like, you're not my mother. And she's like, oh, well, if that's how you feel. And then he, uh, you find out that she's just kind of like an illusion or maybe another alternate way to read it would be that she's using her illusion magic to talk to him. But I feel like it makes more sense that he's just dreaming her up to have a conversation with her and kind of getting these feelings out. I can see that. But, uh powerful scene nonetheless yeah i like i really like the i actually think i like loki loki's portrayal in this movie better than definitely better than thor one even though he's good he's really good in that and even i think better than the avengers because like the avengers he's awesome he's a great villain but he's just a villain whereas this this movie you don't know the first time you watch it like can you trust him like there are times i'm like holy shit maybe loki has realized the error of his ways and he does a betrayal and you're like and that's why like i like loki's arc and i really like the line in ragnarok i I forget exactly how it goes but essentially where he says like I think he says like I'm the god of mischief and Thor says like don't you ever want to be anything more than that or I forgot the exact line but something along those lines and I'm like that's the whole arc of Loki like he's just like you can never know if you can trust him you can never know if, like what he's doing from moment to moment I like that he always keeps you on your toes and I think he's in like prime form in this movie definitely uh, this is yeah for me easily Loki's best arc um, I think he's brilliant in it yeah um I found it interesting that all of their prisoners are wearing armor in yeah. the prison. Like, they should really get their penitentiary system up to date. These people are, like, rolling in with their armor still on and things hidden in their armor. And, like, because they stab the curse stone into Algram's, like, stomach so he can, like, sneak it in. But, like, he's wearing armor. Like, they don't. 
You didn't need to sneak it in, bro. Just, like, put it in your pocket. Like, no one's checking this shit. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good point that I had actually not picked up on, but that is actually... Yeah. You could not be more right. That seems... That'd be like going to, like, a, like a maximum security prison here and just, like, being allowed to have, like, your shotgun with you or something. Like, yeah. that is kind of crazy. Um, so that... I, I didn't realize that until now. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, the arrogance of the Asgardians. Another funny thing that doesn't really play out is you see Heimdall without his helmet on, and he's got, like, really short hair. And I'm like, damn, your hair must grow fast, dude, because the difference between now and Ragnarok is impressive. <laughs> he's got, like, long dreads in Ragnarok, right? That's true. I, I, I can't I can't picture him without his helmet in this movie. I'm, I'm trying to... It's, I've tried, it's been a while now, so I can't really picture it. But, yeah, I do remember his hair... His hair saw drastically changed in uh, yeah. Ragnarok. Um... So we have uh, Sif. Oh, not Sif. Oh, wow. I wrote... Huh. In my notes, I wrote Sif's funeral. <laughs> I was going to say, I must have missed that scene when she shows up again in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I, which is why, it's just side note, I was, I was kind of disappointed that she wasn't in Ragnarok. I, I, I get, it would have been kind of shoe, shoehorning her into the plot, cause like, but, but I still kind of like missed her presence in Ragnarok. Totally. Just wanted to throw um, it out there. So yeah, we have we have Malekith attacking uh, with all his dark elves, and um, we see Frigga one fighting Malekith uh, with a sword that she takes off a random guard. Which I immediately was like, "Oh man, that poor guard! He better find another weapon." <laughs> uh, but she's a total badass with it, which is awesome. Which I was expecting. And, I just didn't expect that. Like, not, not that she couldn't. Yeah. I just she hadn't really been addressed and like like seen in the movies before, so I wasn't expecting her to be like a, a badass. But it was it was pretty sweet and it worked. Yeah, she's like literally beats Malekith before like Malekith's bodyguard is like, okay, I'm, I'm coming to help out. <laughs> um, and she she uses the same illusion magic to uh, hide Jane Foster. So that kind of shows that she taught. Loki, everything he knows about magic and probably about combat too, um, which is why he's not on par with Thor. But you know, he manages. But he has his own style. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, that's a good yeah, point. Which seemed very similar because uh, he's throwing daggers and stuff in in Thor one, and she's you know using a blade as well. So interesting. Um, and then so she dies, uh, which is a powerful scene. Um, Loki comes in, or sorry, Thor comes in. And uses uh, Mjolnir to shoot lightning at Malekith's face. And Malekith's whole thing is he's basically like the Dark Elf version of Two-Face. He's got half of his face is black and the other half is like Dark Elf blue. So that's, you know, the explanation for why his face is half scarred mm. uh, to tie in with the comics, which is interesting. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so the, the the scene I really enjoyed, uh, classic Alan Taylor. Um, so they have Frigga's funeral. Um, they're sending her out in the boat. Um, and then you have Edmure Tully pulling the arrow back, and he keeps missing. So then the Blackfish has to take the arrow and shoot it into the, the, um, the thing to set it on fire for her funeral. And... Um, no, wait, that was Game of Thrones. That was I was just saying, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, <laughs> I like, I don't remember anyone missing. Because <laughs> I, I remember the shot that they made in, in uh, Dark World was, like, very far away. I was like, what the fuck they missed? That would seem kind of strange. 
I do like that scene in Game uh, of Thrones, though. I, I, yeah, I never, I didn't realize Alan Taylor did Game of Thrones, so I, I literally had this Game of Thrones joke written in here. Cause and then, like, yeah, we start saying Tully, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Are you <laughs> I was waiting for you to interrupt me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's very, yeah, very Game of Thrones, the, you know, uh, I guess that's, I don't know if they call that a Viking funeral. I, mean, I think it is, or at least in movies, I feel like that's a movie Viking funeral. Um, actual favorite scene in the entire movie, though, is uh, where Loki's reading, and then um, uh, someone tells him about uh, Frigga's death, and you see him get up, and there's this like small pulse of energy as some chairs fly apart or whatever. And then later, Thor is talking to Loki, and then he's like, um, you know, did you come here to like talk about mother or whatever, blah, 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 share a grief? And he's like, Loki, no more illusions. And then the illusion goes over, and Loki's sitting up against the wall, and his hair's all disheveled, yes. and he's yes. a total mess, and the entire room's been trashed. That's a great scene. I really like that scene. Just, like, it's very simple, yeah. but, like, very effective, like, showing that, like, Loki's fallen pretty hard. Yeah. So that, that is my absolute favorite scene. Agreed. I, feel I really... That's a very, very good scene. Um, so, uh, we have... Uh, we see some Eric Selvig in, uh... His, um, you know, uh, I don't know what to call it, like a mental health institution, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the classic Stan Lee cameo where he's like, can I have my shoe back? <laughs> um, that's pretty great. Uh, yeah, well, Selvig's had a pretty rough go of it. I mean, you know, his brainwash is <laughs> almost destroying the world. So it would under, be understandable that that would have uh, some long-term effects. What does he say? He's like, I've had a god in my head. I don't recommend it. Yeah, like that. Um, it's someone like Hawkeye who like has been kind of you know trained for like all this type of stuff. Like obviously not mind control, but just has training with dealing with adverse situations in general. Can can, can overcome it with time. But like someone like Selvig, who even though he's smart, doesn't really prepare for these types of god brainwashing situations. He also had Loki in his head for a lot longer than Hawkeye did. Yeah, true, true. Because literally at the end of Thor, uh, he's already in his head and kind of there. So. That's a good point. Um, and then on his, uh, so he's he's explaining Yggdrasil and the convergence on the chalkboard. And there's a ton of uh, Easter eggs on his chalkboard. I think they talk about the fault um, and the crossroads, which are some Marvel uh, references that I didn't really get. Um, he has Kyle plus Yost equals X. And so Chris Yost, one of the writers, and Craig Kyle, one of the producers that did the, both of them wrote the prelude comic, they are uh, famous for creating X-23. Oh, interesting. In the X-Men cartoon. So when they say Kyle plus Yost equals X, that's that's what they're referencing. Interesting. Um, and at some point on the chalkboard, too, it even says 616 Universe, which is the... Uh, not the the universe we're in right now. Actually, this takes place in the uh, the one nine 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 nine. Maybe another nine. <laughs> I still don't figure that out. Um, Do you know why they gave that number so, out of curiosity? I don't. Yeah, because yeah. I, like, I I do remember there being like a lot of nines. I was wondering if there was like a significance mm. to that. So the uh, the six one six is is the Marvel universe as we know it in comics. Um, so I guess he discovered that. <laughs> um. Uh, so Loki gets teamed up with uh, Thor, and they go out, and they have the really great 
cameo that I really like where he turns into Captain America. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, so you have Chris Evans acting as Captain America going, let's have a rousing discussion about liberty and truth <laughs> and patriotism. And uh, pretty great. I often uh, wonder if those cameos count as part of their overall con. Because you know how when they like the Marvel actors sign up, they get... A certain how many number. films are showing Yeah, up. like Samuel Jackson was in like yeah. 9 or 10 or something. And I remember he showed up in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I was thinking like, does that S.H.I.E.L.D. count as appearance? Does Chris Evans showing up in Thor count as an appearance? I, I know you don't know. I'm just kind of curious. That's just like a thought I've had. I'd be curious to see how they're, how, how that works in terms of like their contracts. Totally. Sorry to interrupt. That just, that just made me think about that. No, yeah. Interesting thought. Um, I feel like it does. Because I feel like when they signed, like Robert, or sorry, Samuel L. Jackson would have had like 13 appearances or something like that. So, like, a bunch of them, like Iron Man would have been one of them. Like, he showed up for a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, so, um, we, we have the scene with, uh, Loki, um, and Thor kind of, you know, talking in the ship while they're going to, Svartalheim to face Malekith and uh, that's a really powerful scene that I really enjoy Yeah, where he's like I wish I could trust you brother and then he goes trust my rage and then it, the next scene we see is him you know uh, um, seemingly betraying Thor in which uh, he cuts off Thor's arm but the illusion of cutting off his arm so that's the uh, Empire Strikes Back reference there true um and, uh, yeah, so they, uh, it was all for show, um, and Thor and Loki team up again, and then Loki, uh, fakes his death, which is pretty great, um, and then they kind of foreshadow that he's faking it, um, and I knew he was faking it in theaters, I remember watching it and being like, yeah, no, he's not really dead. That's not how Loki dies. No, there's no way um, he's going out like that. And then he replaces Odin at the end. Uh, and so once again, uh, Loki has Gungnir in his hand because in Thor 1, uh, Odin goes into the Odin sleep and he's got Gungnir, he's got Odin's lance, and that's what he's fighting Thor with at the end. And then he gets his scepter in... Uh, in the Avengers, and then, you know, that gets captured by... I don't know how that gets into the hands of uh, Baron Von Strucker, actually. They might. They might show it in the Avengers. Uh, oh. Age of, but yeah. I don't actually know if they do show how... It's got to be in this this uh, Scepter dial, for sure. Yeah, but I don't know if they actually do show... I think they do show how it comes into his possession, or if they show it on S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, I'm pretty sure they show it somewhere that it comes into... Which is also worth noting because that's now the second and third Infinity Stones, right? We have the Ether and um, whatever stone is in the um, the Scepter. So that's now... Yeah. But we, I guess we don't really find out about the Scepter one until Age of Ultron. So right now there's two Infinity Stones in the MCU. The Tesseract and the Ether. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the final battle in this kind of boring. I feel like it drags on a lot. Um See that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, uh, that's fair, and I think that's what most people think. But I actually kind of like it. Like I, I, I kind of think it's kind of fun when they're going between, like when they're just like falling the hammer, going between like dimensions and stuff, and they're showing up on on different planets. Like I, I, I it's not one of their yeah. all, all definitely not one of their top like climaxes. But I, I kind of enjoy it. I think it's kind of fun. I just for that that aspect. I like that. I feel like it. Tr it, it follows everyone else a little too much. 
Yeah, yeah, that could be true. I don't know. It's got its own. But alone, I just like... For the Thor subway scene alone, it's worth it when he gets into the subway. Yes. That, that scene, scene is, is like iconic. Like, I, I yeah. died the first time I saw that. I, I die every time I see that. But yeah, I see what you're saying. There's a couple good ones in this, too. Like, they're in uh, Jane's apartment or whatever, and Thor hangs up Mjolnir on the coconut, <laughs> which is great. Like, these moments are, like, what makes Ragnarok, and they, they yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, so, uh, before I get to the after credits stuff, anything else about the end of it you want to talk about? No, not, not really. So. It's just, like, I, I can't, I, I just have trouble seeing what the hatred for the, well, not hatred, I don't think anyone hates it, but what the... Like, I think most people put this on the tier of, like, Incredible Hulk, and, like, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's, like, it's, you know, it's classic Thor. Like, is, there's lots of, the low, like, we said both that the Loki stuff is, is in top form. Like, you can't tell, like, they're both their acting is great. You can't tell one moment what Loki's going to do and, and what he's not going to do. There's so many little scenes, like the one we talked about in the prison cell where it takes away and you see how Loki's actually living. I just, I don't really understand, like, I can understand Iron Man 2. I can even understand Iron Man 3. Like, like, like you said, like, I can understand different aspects but this is like one of the ones that gets more shit on that I actually think is other than like maybe not super exciting final battle I, I think it's a fun movie yeah I think the final battle is the only thing stopping it from being a four and a half for me honestly mm. because it's got the strongest Loki stuff overall the plot's pretty good Malekith's uh, a typical villain yeah a typical a dark elf like yeah. how much more character like background does he really need as a dark elf they hate things yeah sometimes like you, it's good to have the nuance villains like uh but then sometimes especially you, in a Thor one, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes you can just have a villain who's just like whose plot is just essentially take over the world like that. That's that's fine. Like you don't always have, have to have these super nuanced villains. Like you just have like a backstory. Like he's just an evil force, and like he wants to get his stuff back. He just is on this quest of doom. Like that's enough for me. Like I I would, wouldn't want that in every movie, but in this movie it works. Yeah. Um. So then that no, just that I I enjoy this movie. And I think it's uh, it's underrated. Totally. Um. The, so we have a before credit scene, uh, which is, as it should be, awesome. Uh, we get the introduction to Tanalir Tavon, uh, played by Benicio Del Toro. Um, and he's the collector, so he's the first of the elders of the universe, I think they're called, um, that we see. And Oh, he's an they elder drop... of the universe? So you see that, that thing, being a non-comic fan, I don't realize, like, it's significant. So what does that mean, being an elder of the, of the universe? I, I don't know how it works. That's what they are in the comics. I'm not sure if it still works the same way, but there's these different people that have been put together. Um, we've got uh, the Grandmaster, uh, played by Jeff Goldblum. He is one of the elders of the universe. So there's just these people that have been around for forever, and they have oh. very specific things that they do. Um, I think I read somewhere that potentially James Gunn was talking to Mark Hamill about a role in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, this can be quoted on the podcast. Immediately, I was like, "You get someone like Mark Hamill in Guardians of the Galaxy. He has to be playing an elder, an elder of the universe, if not the villain or something, or maybe even make him that." And I was like, "If he's playing one of the elders, I'm going to call it now. I think Mark Hamill should play the gardener. The gardener. One of my favorites. Yeah, one of my favorites. Elders of the universe. <laughs> He's so dope. And I feel like he would kill that character, and it would be awesome." Uh, so fingers crossed, here's hoping. Um, so so yeah, we have we have the collector who's uh, probably easily the most interesting of all of the elders, to be honest, because he collects stuff, and as a you know comic fans, they can definitely relate to that. Um, 
pussies. They, they usually take things to the next level. Like, the Grandmasters wants to see fights all the time. The Collector needs to collect everything. Like, they're just, like, obsessive, compulsive people. They've been around for so long, they have one passion, one purpose, you know? What's interesting with him is that I, I'd be more interested to know because we still know a whole lot about it. Like, we've seen him in Guardians and stuff. But, like, <clears throat> I'm just kind of interested that, that they would uh, they would trust him with this. Like, I mean, they I understand the idea of not keeping... <coughs> the Infinity Stones together, but, like, trusting, like, I, I guess there's probably a lot that, like you said, he's an elder, he's probably earned, like, his place in the galaxy or whatever, but just, we don't, I, like, for, like, them to just show up and give it to him, like, this is a big thing they're handing over to him, so they must trust him on some level. I don't know why, I think it's, I think Asgardians might just be dumb, why would they, I mean, they're smart enough that they, they say, too, they're like, it's not wise to keep two Infinity Stones so close together, which is the first time they say that they're Infinity Stones, which changed the game, so that scene is hella important. And yeah, they they out that the Tesseract is one, and that the Aether's another, um, and they drop it off with him. And I mean, the Collector's kind of known for like he has a habit of trying to get all the Infinity Stones because it's collectible. You need all of them, and he says like one down, five more to go, right? So uh, definitely not a smart idea. Not sure why they trusted him with that. That would be interesting to find out. But yeah, uh, I would just leave it with the people of Earth. Like I just like like I just you know that like they fucked up with the Tesseract. But I'm sure if Thor said like don't touch this and gave it to like Tony, he would do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting. Um, so it's hard to see a lot of what's in the background, but I, I think there's probably some references to some stuff that we have uh, um, the collector holding on to uh, in his um, his uh, keep there. Uh, I, it looked like it was one of the Brood, which is an alien race from like the X-Men universe that was in the background. I could be wrong, but that was kind of the first impression I got, so that'd be interesting. And then there's some kind of cocoon there of some sort that a bunch of people were like, maybe it's Adam Warlock's cocoon. Ooh. Uh, which... I know you'll be happy about if that's the case. I, I think has since been debunked because uh, Aisha and her people end up uh, doing that in Volume 2, but we'll talk about that not next week for the fans, but next week IRL. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so that's that's a really dope scene. And then for the actual host credits, uh, we see just Thor visiting Jane. They, you know, smooch it up. And that scene in itself is kind of, eh, not really worth it. But then you see uh, at some point uh, during... Malekith and Thor's fight, which you're right, I do really like the, the mechanics of them going between all the realms with the hammer and stuff, that's super interesting. Yeah. They go to Jotunheim, and one of those, like, giant beasts that he fights, oh, yeah. one, <laughs> rolls right. through. So you see that rolling through uh, London and chasing birds or something, and that he's still there. So that's kind of the humor they use in that scene, which is pretty cool. That's true, good, good catch. Um, but yeah, uh, that's Thor Dark World. Interesting. I think that's. Uh, I think I've said all I want to say in it. I, I, I love Chris Hemsworth again. He was a very unproven actor coming into Thor, but he's, he's definitely taken it and made made it its own. Uh, Loki was great as always. Um, yeah, I don't think I really have anything else to say. But just other than I liked it. Totally. Um, yeah, that's all really the Easter eggs and stuff I caught there. Uh, I think for once we can take uh, the win and make this uh, less than an hour podcast since we still got another hour and a half, I'm sure, to go. Wow, look at us go. We went from a two-hour Iron Man 3 podcast to a 40, to almost a 50-minute Thor Dark World podcast. We're getting there. 
we're getting there. Maybe when I read more Thor, I'll have more to say. But for now, this is kind of the extent of my knowledge. Um, yeah. So we'll end it here, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. See you then.